Welcome to Get Off the Treadmill podcast for business leaders, where we are relentless about helping small business owners get off the treadmill and make meaning too. I'm Sandy Corrigan, and we are going to dive into another conversation that helps us make more money in less time, get off the treadmill, and rehumanize every business leader by giving you your brain back. Seth Tanis is my guest today on the Get Off the Treadmill podcast for business leaders. Seth worked in the ski and bike industry for 10 years and has worked in the renewable energy industry since 2010. Seth has worked with several companies performing installs around the front range, specializing in off-grid and grid tieback battery systems. While working in the renewable energy industry, Seth began looking for other ways to create positive environmental impacts with fewer barriers to entry and were more inclusive to a larger group of people. So in 2016, Seth started up Sasquatch Turds Clay Seed Bombs as gifts for friends and family. Seeing the warm welcome, the seed bombs quickly became thank you gifts to his solar customers. The hilarious part was that after building a $50,000 off-grid power plant that runs their house from the sun, people's minds were getting blown with a bag of dirt clods. Getting into renewable energy to participate in change Solar answers a portion of the energy challenges we face, but it's not going to solve other environmental issues. We are seeing pollinators disappearing, drought and wildfires sterilizing the landscapes, topsoil is degrading, and rivers are becoming full of sediment. Sasquatch Turds provides a low-tech, low-cost option where anyone can participate in change. Seth, wish we were in person, but we're close through virtual reality through Zoom. So glad you're here today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Where are you exactly? I, I live in Conifer, Colorado, so I'm about half an hour oh, yeah. southwest of downtown. Um, so you're in the beautiful mountains. It's, it's I, a gorgeous warm day here. What's it like there? It's not too shabby. We're 60 degrees outside. It's pretty warm. Um, but yeah, I live in the woods and kind of in the I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, mountain suburbs of Denver. <laughs> so awesome. close. We're spoiled. To, yeah, We're far spoiled enough out. The weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so nice and warm. Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit about you. Sure. Tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, just where did you grow up and what was like life like and what were you interested then? And yeah, and we'll fast forward to what mm-hmm. the heck are you doing now? Just kind of hit all the bullet points. Um, I grew up in Vermont and, uh, you know, grew up skiing and was kind of an outdoors kid. When I graduated high school, I moved to Salt Lake City to ski bum for a year. Long story short there, I ended up ski bumming for about 10 years. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then uh, about 10 years ago, I moved to Denver. So the, the years that I was in Salt Lake and after high school, I was working in the ski and bike industry. Having a lot of fun, not really making much money, but you got all the time in the world to pay to play and somebody else is paying for it. So, you know, you ski for free for a decade, you kind of get spoiled. But I kind of got tired of the retail industry in a way just because it's so consumptive. And uh, I wanted to kind of, as much as it's fun and I was having my fun, I wanted to get a, get involved with something that was more productive than consumptive. And so I moved to Denver in 2010 got in or t- 2009 sorry and i got in the solar industry in 2010 and i've been working in renewables for the last 10 years 
And that is just, uh, you know, I want to be part of something that was a bigger solution, was more net positive or productive rather than consumptive. It seemed like solar was where I wanted to be. I mean, I've been reading about green building and sustainable building for the decade prior because I've always wanted to build my own home. And so like I was already well indoctrinated in that whole camp. And so just getting on the roof and being able to hang panels was kind of the experience I was looking for and learning how it all goes. Fast forward 10 years down the road, you know, I just uh, just recently got laid off from the solar company that I was working at. You know, I was there for three years and all kinds of weird stuff going on with COVID, but I was, I was basically res- uh, responsible for developing the residential storage program. So all things battery related, because batteries are really kind of the next trend with energy. So, but wait, before you talk, yeah, go ahead. fast forward there. Sure, go ahead. It's a big. Were you interested, like, in the environment growing up, Absolutely. or in school, or like, what was one of the first memories you had of? Yeah. Hey, I got to be part of taking care of this beautiful place I live. Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, growing up, you know, Vermont was kind of semi-rural, or you go five minutes out of town, and you might as well be in the boondocks. It's just farm country. There's more cows than people. But I had a garden growing up. You know, my parents had a garden. We canned food and did all that kind of little house on the prairie, even though we're kind of in the suburbs in Vermont. But yeah, I've always just been interested in the environment from that standpoint, you know, like skiing, I was always outdoors, I was always out hiking. It just mattered to me. And yeah, I think the gardens growing up and same thing with my relatives, you know, you go visit the aunt and uncle and they had a garden too, you know what I mean? And so just gardens were just kind of a part of growing up and that was something that when I moved to Colorado, I'd always want to get a garden going here. And, you know, what really, where I kind of stumbled into the seed balls was where I live in the foothills, I grow nothing but rocks. And so there's not a lot of topsoil. And so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. Um, I got to tell you, I think memories are attached to gardens because my grandfather had a giant garden and yeah, yeah, I remember the garden, but I remember being in the garden with him. Like there Mm -hmm. weren't a lot of things we did together. Yeah. That was one thing. And he had these like world's most like Guinness world book of records, sunflowers in the garden, you know? Yeah. There's there's just something about like digging in the dirt with people that does create a different kind of community experience, sure. I think, you know? I, yeah, and the thing that I've always been drawn to with gardening, and I appreciate it more in my older age than when I was in, you know, in junior high, but I just, the thing I like about gardens is just the sense of abundance where you can share, there's plenty to go around, you know, you plant, a, you plant your whatever leafy greens and you've got grocery bags full that you just can't eat it all fast enough. And I just like the, uh, the abundance and generosity that goes with gardening. And, you know, when you go to a friend's house and you give them the, uh, the, the jar of canned food out of the garden, like that's a big deal. Very cool. Yeah. (laughs) But it's nice to share. Homemade chocolate chip cookies, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. Did you then end up coming to Denver because of skiing or because of wanting to get into the, the uh, renewable energy field or yeah, it was, it was a bit of both. Actually, I I recently got divorced this past year, but my ex-wife was from Denver. And so this was home for her. So we'd met and we were out in Salt Lake for a decade prior. So coming to Denver, you know, the, the past relationship was a catalyst to get out here, but I knew that when I'm heading east to Denver, I wanted to get into the renewable energy. Like I didn't want to just go work some BS job somewhere that was just kind of, you know, not really making a contribution. And, you know, I had grandiose visions on what the solar industry 
is or was and all that it's a tough it's a tough grind it's a super volatile industry so you know every year working in solar no one's really sure if they got a job next year or not as as big as the industry is you know i mean it's it's just volatile whenever there's elections everything comes to a grinding halt you oh know? my gosh like today we're in an election and oh yeah and there's much in the <laughs> industry everyone's like "Ooh, what's going to happen in that first 90 days or 100 days or 120 days Ooh, what's going to happen and so it's just you know it's called the solar coaster that's you great know? when you when you think about all the different layers with politics it just becomes a political tool and that was kind of frustrating to be in that as much as you want to do good you're just kind of wrapped up in this political thing and that's where it's I think that's where the industry solar has changed a lot in the last couple of years is it's now cheaper to build the utility scale solar farm than to build a peak demand coal or natural gas plant. So now all of a sudden utilities are interested in it and it's less adversarial and it is happening, but it is a very high volume, low margin, high stress, go, go, go kind of an industry, you know? And so that wears you out after a while. <laughs> so. So in 2016, mm -hmm. you started Sasquatch mm -hmm. Turds. Yeah. And so tell us how you got the idea. Yeah. And why the heck you named it that? Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah. Part of, yeah, that's a fair, fair question. So when I was doing uh, my own solar jobs, I, were, I was self employed for about seven years in the solar industry. The gardening, permaculture, soil regeneration quest kind of was moving in parallel with the solar career. And as I was trying to get a garden going at my house, I'm thinking like, okay, there's no topsoil here. How do I start building topsoil? You know, the compost and adding material organic, that usual permaculture kind of deal where you just keep adding organic materials to your yard and you'll get soil. And up in, up in my area, I had a couple of grow houses nearby where they were just chucking their dirt off the edge of the hill. They would use it once. And so I started repurposing their dirt into my garden and I've got three feet deep of just premium, you know, grow medium out in my garden now. And it was just basically other people's trash they're getting rid of. They use it once and dump it. And so I started scooping that up. Some of my neighbors have got horses started you know getting a trailer load of that at a time bringing it in and so I was pretty motivated to get the garden going I've always wanted to do that and kind of have the homestead and so as I started looking into you know how to build topsoil I kind of stumbled stumbled into the rabbit hole of seed bombing and gorilla gardening and clay seed balls and it a lot of it from what I gather kind of originates a, a farmer in Japan you know back in the 60s and he was getting twice the yield from his rice crops because he's planting with clay seed balls and just adding organic material back to his crops. And so I started doing that here at my house. And when I started making those, I was like, these would be kind of cool to just give away, you know, just something cheap and inexpensive that I could be generous with and just like give them to friends and family. So you just took like some clay and some compost and seeds and, you know, yeah. sort of did a little art project. of. Yeah. Well, when I started really digging in on how to do it, I mean, you see a lot of cute videos on Etsy and things of like, you know, hand rolling them on the kitchen table. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. I want to make a lot. I want to go big. And so I had a big cement mixer that I modified for the first few batches. You know, I just took the paddles out and it was just a tumbler that created balls and it was just unbelievably messy and slow and inconsistent. And so I was just making big batches for myself and just, you know, seed bomb my yard and give to friends. And people really were kind of giggling about it. And uh, I started looking into different machines on how to scale up. And I started giving them to customers, my solar customers, as thank you gifts. And, you know, I think I've got it on my bio on the website. But the hilarious part was I just 
quite literally got done building them a $50,000 power plant that's off grid that runs their house from the sun. And then I just blow their mind with a bag of dirt clods. <laughs> so I love that part. I love laughing and reading that part about yeah. like here and they're all excited. Wow. How'd you do that? It's like, are you kidding me? I just took a ton of money from you and built a solar powered battery based system out in the woods for you. And this bag of dirt clods just blows your mind. And so it was just one of those things where uh, it had a warm reception. And the thing that I liked about it the most was, you know, solar is uh, very expensive. There's a lot of barriers to entry. Not everybody can afford it. Not everybody has a roof that's good for it. Not everybody has a yard for a ground mount. As awesome as solar is, there's still a lot of expenses that go with it. And just not everybody can play. You know, as much as solar has gotten affordable over the last five, 10 years, but it's still like, it's a pretty good chunk of change. So not everybody can do it. So I was kind of motivated from the standpoint of facilitating change on a greater scale. I mean, it's just, if something's 10 bucks or 20 bucks, way more people are going to be able to participate than if it's 30 grand or 40 grand. Right. So why did, why did you start with wildflowers? Yeah, I kind of went down the, uh, the path looking and well, you know, when I started reading about all the permaculture things over the years, pollinators were a huge, huge issue on the radars, you know, bees disappearing. And so. And go, go back if, yeah. you know, just cause not everybody may understand oh, good, the good. word permaculture, even what Got that it. entails and maybe explain that. And then sure, you yeah. know, what we're seeing in terms of the, um, degradation yeah. of soil and pollinators leaving and all of that. So we can understand why this is an issue yeah. and how we all can participate in it. Right. Yeah. So permaculture is essentially, you know, a, a gardening and landscaping design philosophy, farming philosophy that's regenerative, that becomes net positive and every year it produces more than the year before. Like you're creating a perennial food system where every year it comes back stronger than it did the, than the year before. So much of our farming practices are extractive where every year we have these huge agribusinesses, just industrial scale farming. And every year we're depleting more and more organic material from the soil and it just basically becomes sterile and barren and it doesn't produce it just doesn't produce food and nutrients. And so then we get into this cycle of adding fertilizers and all these external things we're adding to the soil where in reality, if you have a, a permaculture system or a regenerative farming practice, it's a closed loop where everything that you're pulling out of the soil, all of your organic waste, your, you know, your, the rice straw and the lawn mowing clippings and your food scraps, all that stuff goes back into the garden. And when you're starting from scratch, like where I am up in the foothills, I mean, quartz and decomposed granite is what we grow up here. And so uh, not the best the eating. Rocky yeah. Hence the name. Um, and so for, yeah. So the more organic material that you can get back into the circle rather than breaking that loop and taking things out of the ground and what, what, ultimately what happens is all the root structures fail, they go away, they get depleted, everything just washes down the creek. At the end of the day, when it rains, we're basically rinsing our topsoil out to sea. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of documentaries out there about, you know, like the Mississippi Delta, where all the farm and agribusiness from the Midwest just basically rinses, you know, all kinds of nasty fertilizers right down to the Mississippi Delta. And then it just chokes out that whole bay, you know, like the shrimping business and fisheries and things like that everything everything we pay for it you know what i mean everything everything just degrades as it goes 
when we keep an extractive philosophy with our farming practices. And so, you know, for me, I just kind of wanted to take care of my own little square here and, you know, just kind of create a homestead and a closed loop food system and plant fruit, fruit trees and all that kind of jazz. That's my long-term vision here. But um, yeah, ultimately it was just kind of like, I was trying to do less harm and I didn't really want to get a rototiller and be running the gas rototiller to stir up the soil to till the garden. And when I started looking into things like no work gardening and no till gardening and things like that, it was just all about adding material back into the garden and leave it alone. Like dirt knows how to make dirt. You know, we don't have to do anything. We just need to get it out there and it'll decompose and the layers of microbes will stratify and, you know, it's a whole ecosystem. And so making uh, making topsoil was kind of the mission for my own yard. And that's sort of where it started, if that makes sense, where it's like, well, geez, if I can do this here, how, far, how big could we go with this thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so how many years have been, you've been experimenting since 2016 on your own place? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I did a bunch of test cases around the neighborhood where I put several wheelbarrow loads out in the neighborhood just to see if they were going to go. I think my learning curve was a lot of the mountain native species. And that was, that was another, another thing too, that I want to focus on with the pollinators and the wildflowers was specifically native species. Because when I started, uh, I'm sorry, I bounce around a little bit on you, but when I started digging into the seed balls and wildflowers and the pollinators and the bees, you know, the bee colonies collapsing and things like that, I started finding seed mixes at the hardware store that were really cheap but they might call it a hummingbird mix in quote. And it's just because there's a bunch of red flowers and hummingbirds like red flowers, but there's a lot of those mixes have species that the department of ag considers noxious weeds, but they're just sold at the hardware store because it's cheap and they sell them because people buy them. And then people buy them because they're at the hardware store. And it's just this whole circle of supply, the supply chain where I think it just needs to be corrected, you know? And so um, the native species were really what kind of jumped out at me, especially in comparison to what other people were doing with, you know, seed mixes and other, other companies that do seed balls is I just wanted to keep a very narrow lane with native wildflowers. But what I found up here was Colorado's unbelievably dry and seeds up here are so finicky and they can take two or three years before they're going to germinate. They could be dormant for 20 years. I mean, any seed could sit dormant for 20 years if it wants to. But yeah, so I seed bombed my neighborhood. I put out tons of wheelbarrow loads just as I did batches and tried to get the recipe more consistent and things like that. I just was basically dumping all that into my neighborhood and in my yard. But on year three, which was last year, we had an incredibly wet spring and the whole neighborhood went off. And that was where I was like, did you take, did you take some pictures? Yeah. yeah. I, I have a ton of photos. A friend of mine was a photographer and it was actually good enough where I had him come out and blow a few hundred photos mm -hmm. for me. But so I'm working on content for my website right now, but yeah. So that, that year was kind of the morale boost I needed where it was kind of like, okay, game on, let's do this. Cause you know, if things are sitting dormant for a couple of years and feeling a little bit like a snake oil salesman where it's like, oh, they're going to work, I promise, you know, but they're, they're seeds and they're going to sit there as long as they want to sit there until it's time to germinate. And so, and you, and you now uh, make, you now have uh, recipes for different climates, correct? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're yeah. beyond Colorado even. 
looking yeah, at so, what can go into other places. Correct. Right? Yeah, I have nine regional mixes that are all native blends for those areas. I, I get my seeds from reputable vendors that are vetted by the Department of Ag. Um, I also have a seed labeler's license where I'm vetted by the Department of Ag. And so that's more of a consumer protection thing on my side with the licensing. But yeah, so when they, they test all the seed mixes, um, I'm pretty specific about who I buy from and what I'm buying. All their, all their seed stocks are tested for noxious weeds and germination rates and all that. And so they're, you know, this is like a, an administrative thing that all seed vendors have to do. And so there's, you know, it's, it's pretty uh, vetted you know, the different species. And so each of the nine mixes are kind of tailored for each different region. Colorado has three that are relevant to it. It's not a, flowers aren't gonna just stop growing at state lines. You know, it's kind of more climate and geography based. So, I mean, when you go from the Northeast to the Southeast, there's gonna be a handful of species that are common between the two because they don't just stop at Virginia. You know what I mean? Right. Let's make this really practical. So yeah, go ahead. I live in the country, you know, I live in mm -hmm. Elizabeth where we have yeah. more horses than people, just like you're in Vermont with more cows than people. Yeah. So it's easy for me to do something mm -hmm. out here because I have acreage. But is this something that somebody in the suburb with a lawn could have a patch of, of wildflowers and bring pollinators in? And, Absolutely. You know, like, like, is this for everybody? You mentioned before you wanted a price point that was. But yeah. talk to us so that anybody listening could go, cool, I could really mm -hmm. help my own yard and environment and bees coming back and all of that. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge movement within within metropolitan areas to dig up your grass and do a, a zero scape or perennial perennial flower system. And so, you know, this is this is something. The way that I sell my product, it's there's two pound bags where it's two pounds of material and it's about the size of a coffee bean bag. Um, I also do 15 pound bags if you want to do a little bit more. So the small bag might be like two or three hundred square feet. A 15 pound bag might be, you know, 750 to a thousand square feet, depending on how densely you plant. But those are, those are ideal for exactly that type of a person. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't have acres and acres. You just kind of have that raised bed by the front door, by the mailbox or kind of the, the border around the house. These single servings are perfect for that type of a situation. And, you know, it, it takes very little input to just get them on the ground. You know, if you've got bark and mulch, it might help to rake some of that stuff up. Um, you know, if you've got a really thick, lush lawn that you're going to get rid of, you know, it might be easier to try to cut that up before you plant. But, you know, the the big takeaway is uh, don't overthink it. You know, like just get the seeds out, see what they do. It's kind of an entropy project where there might be a mix of seeds that you plant and you might find that one or two of the species really thrive in that environment but the other ones don't. And so it's a good science experiment to figure out what's going to take in your specific area or your yard or your soil. So if sense. I were to get the coffee pound, uh -huh. uh, coffee bag size, what does yeah. that cost? And do I just, you know, prepare everything and just seed that once? And will it come up the first year? Is it going to take three years or? Yeah. Oh, and, and do you have directions on the website and on the package and all of that? Yeah. So, People yeah. know, you know, because people are worried. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's um that's kind of the fun with it too, is it is just sort of one of those relax, you can't really screw it up. You're just chucking dirt clods. A lot of times I get asked by people, you know, do I have to dig a hole and plant each one? And it's like, no, you don't. Like if it gets out there, ideally you plant in the late fall when it's too late for things to germinate. You know, it's too cold and too dry. You're not gonna get 
seedlings germinating. Um, they'll sit so like there now. So now like now, now right? through it's, spring it's is November. Okay. Yep. It's perfectly reasonable to plant anytime now through spring. Um, if you can get it out over the winter time, the, the seed bombs, you know, they're clay, they're going to absorb a lot of moisture and they'll kind of dissolve and stick and bond to the subsurface under the snow. So like when you get these melt thaw freeze cycles and things like that, they just basically turn to goo and bond to the subsurface. And so if you can get them out there, you know, now-ish, that's the best time to, to do it. So they can sit there all, all winter. Um, because a lot of, a lot of seed species too, the annual flowers, when you think about how they grow, you plant the seed, the flower grows, it gets pollinated, the flower dies and it drops its seeds and the seeds sit there all winter and then they germinate in the spring. We're kind of doing that same, you know, annuals just do that, you know, and there might be biannuals that set roots the first year and they go to flower the second year. And there might be a ton of seeds that just want to sit dormant because they're not happy until, until you run the rake over it by accident. You know, it, conditions change. You know, I've had people that have had seeds sit dormant in their yard underneath a blacktop driveway for 20 years and they tore up the driveway, the house that they grew up at, all of a sudden these flowers popped up that they hadn't seen wow. in 20 years, you know, wow. so it's, it's amazing. So it's just kind of like, don't overthink it. You know, I've definitely had people call and wonder where the flowers were because they planted them six weeks ago, oh. <laughs> um, which if that's the case, go buy a plant from a nursery and plant it where you need it. But a lot of it's climate specific too. You know, I had uh, another customer, uh, a friend's mom is a master gardener and beekeeper in Georgia. She, I sent her a case and she planted out a whole raised bed just for a test case for me for some photos. And in Georgia with how rainy it was in six to eight weeks, it was just this Jumanji garden, you know? And so Colorado, like out West where it's so dry, it is, it is uniquely different where you just gotta be patient with it. So. So it is dry real now. Mm, Would you yeah. recommend somebody maybe, oh, snow is coming, wait for the snow to come, then throw them or throw them down right before the snow comes. Um, um, or do you need to water them? If you water them, you're definitely going to have better germination rates, but that's also kind of defeating the point, you know, depending on where you're gardening. And if, if you want to water it, great. But it's also, these are native species from here that know how to grow without you dragging a garden hose out to them every day. You know, it might take a while for them to germinate, but uh, they know how to thrive in dry climates. That's what they, you know, they've been doing that for millions of years. And so, it's really just kind of a don't overthink it and a hundred percent of the seeds that you don't plant won't germinate. <laughs> so That's it's like, awesome. so just get them out there. You know, I've found too, with the snow, I mean, I've planted tons when I do production runs, I always have some waste product that I can't really sell. And so I've planted a lot in the snow and ideally it's, it's, it's helpful if you have a steep slope because it won't, you know, dirt clods won't roll down the hill. They'll just sit on the top of the snow they'll get warm and you'll just watch them burn a hole down through the snow over the days. And eventually they end up on the ground. And so it really is just get them out there. Get them out there. Just so out there. I want yeah. you to tell, um, mm -hmm. we're going to talk longer, but I want you to tell everybody mm -hmm. right now because yeah. they're, they might be like, Hey, I want to get some of these. So, and sure. the cool thing is like, I loved what you said. They make great little gifts. I yeah. mean, we're yeah. in the, we're in the start of the holiday season. I'm like, Oh, yep. stocking stuffers, They're you know, perfect. And, White and elephant little gifts. gifts with you go to a, a party and want to leave like what a cool thing. And so yeah. how can people get a hold of some of these? Yeah. Where so I, I do have a website. It's sasquatchturds.com and they are broken up 
by the region. And so there's a Northeast, Southeast, Northwest, Southwest, and then Colorado has three. Um, it's the High Plains, Intermountain, and Mountain Mix. And the difference between those three for Colorado is really going to be revolving around altitude. So mountain is kind of, you know, 7,000 feet and above. Intermountain is basically the Great Basin area when you really get down to the geography. We're kind of on the east edge of that Great, Great Basin ring. Um, Intermountain is kind of foothills, you know, Indian Hills, Boulder, Idaho Springs, you know, kind of up through the just the, the foothill areas below 7,000 feet. So Idaho Springs is probably pushing it. And then High Plains is pretty much all Denver. You know, Denver really is prairie when you think about it. You know, a lot of and then you have you have mixes outside Colorado, right? For outside Colorado, correct, correct, yeah. So nationwide, if you go to the homepage, there's actually kind of a regional map on the the home slideshow, and that kind of cuts it up by region. So, but yeah, one two pound bag, you know, it's about the size of a whole bean coffee bag. Um, it's twenty bucks. There's about seven or eight grams of seeds per bag on average. You know, a lot of people will kind of get hung up on how many square feet does one bag cover? And, you know, the smart aleck answer is, well, how close together do you want your flowers, right? So in general, though, it's about two to 300 square feet, just kind of a raised bed, small little patch. And, you know, you can, you can stretch it out further if you break up the clods. Oh, That's a cool idea, though, to think about giving someone something now and then know yeah. that a few months from now they're going to, you know, kind it's, of remember maybe that moment too. Now that I'm three years into it, I'm starting to have people send me photos of flowers that are taking off. And mm -hmm. that's now it's kind of coming around full circle where it's just like, all right, this is cool. This is getting teeth. Like, let's do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I, we shared a little bit about just mm -hmm. the greater vision of areas that mm -hmm. yeah. could be beautified, you know, yeah. by, you know, like I think about driving along the highway or, I, I used to live in Highlands Ranch where there are yeah. all these, it's a whole trail system. And I'm yeah. like, oh yeah. my gosh, what would it be like to run through that if it was full of wildflowers? Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, I, I hope that you start to get traction from yeah. some of these bigger organizations that can buy larger batches, which will be so good for the environment, not just beautify everything. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I want to, I really want to go big with this and try to get acreage. Um, I've been talking to CDOT, Colorado Department of Transportation. Their 2020 kind of, you know, their their budget went up in flames with everybody else in the dumpster fire of 2020. But um, CDOT and I were going to be working together on the Pollinator Highway Project. Um, so they, they wanted to start purchasing product. They wanted to start collecting the metrics and doing it. Cause I don't know if you're aware, but if you get online, um, and this goes back to Washington DC, but there is basically a department of transportation mandate for pollinator highway projects. And for Colorado, I 76 from Denver up to the Northeast corner is Colorado's pollinator highway, you know, the designated pollinator highway. So they've been burning through a lot of volunteers with rakes and shovels planting, and I pitched them on the idea of the seed bombs and they were really into it, but it just, you know, 2020 happened. And so it got kicked down the road. But the vision I have for this is to be able to go out with some of these watershed restoration groups like the Upper Platte Canyon and uh, Glenwood Canyon groups and try to get in with some of these organizations that are doing active restoration projects that are doing substantial, you know, sub sub substantial projects and, and covering mileage because uh, and that's the only way we're going to get things done is if we can get 
get big batches out there. Maybe somebody listening will know somebody or have some influence. So yeah. how do they get a hold of you? Do they just go to the website or do you have an email or phone that you want to give? Yeah, all the contact info is on the website at sasquatchturds.com. Uh, my email is uh, seth, S-E-T-H, at sasquatchturds.com. And uh, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of where I see this going. And, you know, thinking about all the farmers, where whenever you're flying out in airplanes and you see the crop circles, most of those circles are on square parcels and the corners don't really get used. All of those corners, when you think about on a grand scale, those corners are perfect perfect places for habitat, for pollinators. Oh, I for love the, that. I never thought very, that. that's a cool yeah, picture. For the and actual course, crops that they're growing, you know? Yeah. And of course, um, you and I, let's launch into this. We've been, we're mm -hmm. going to do an experiment somehow, yep. some way, because of course, Tom and I have horses and yep. every horse person knows in Colorado how precious grass is. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you don't want to drive on your grass and right. you don't want to, you want to park on your grass. And, you know, most of us aren't irrigating, you know, we don't have big mm -hmm. acreage so, and we're not growing, you know, we don't have a hay business or, you know, I mean, there are yeah. people you know, obviously that do that, but just even thinking about, I live in an equestrian community with, you know, everybody has a little over five acres and just yeah. looking at the possibility of what kind of grasses could we grow on our pasture, not only to hold down our topsoil, yeah, yeah. You know, create something more flourishing and substantial, but potentially even create some nourishment for our animals or even for mm -hmm. us. And so we're uh we're digging into that you and i and you know i think there's so much application in terms yeah. of gardens and pastures and maybe even bigger bigger projects with farmers i mean certainly think of all the hay that's grown here oh absolutely and and, yeah. it, and it's it's so scary like a year like i just talked to somebody yesterday and like oh my gosh hay prices are just skyrocketing you know and you got to feed your horses and so yeah. we don't want our horses to starve and so I love that we can maybe do some experimenting around what can we create to help with that too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm absolutely on board with that because, you know, off the shelf, I have the native wildflower blends, but in reality, if people have projects that they want to do, like we're talking about for you and your, your neighbors, we can mix whatever seeds we want to mix. I just need to know what you need. And, uh, and I got, man, I got all the horse manure you want. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things when you really get down to it. I mean, we, we haven't been good stewards of the land. We, we haven't been good at replenishing topsoil and it's been very extractive. And so this could be a really interesting thing to, th to think about where, you know, you're saying you, you buy several hundred pounds of grass seed at a time when you're planting, but I'm guessing the vast majority of those seeds don't germinate. When you think about how many millions of seeds have been put out there, how many of them don't germinate because of mm -hmm. either rodents or exposure or, mm -hmm. in, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, as far as quantifying it goes with a big production run, I mean, if you're hedging the odds and you get, you know, a 50% better germination rate because they're in dirt clods already, they're kind of self-planted, you know, that could be a quantifiable thing when you come down to offsetting what you're paying to feed your horses. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we're looking forward to mm -hmm. besides just the, you know, I, and I, I think, you know, we moved out here. I've had horses before I grew up, you know, in, in Wisconsin in a lot of farms, but that doesn't mean I, I knew a lot about really right. taking care of the land um, in a really sustainable flourishing kind of way. And one mm -hmm. of the things you'll, you've probably heard this before, but, 
I watched the movie, The Biggest Little Farm. And I yeah. was just amazed at these people that were city people that mm-hmm. bought 200 acres in the desert as dry as can be, you know, it looked like nothing lived at all. And through their hard work and good, a good consultant and investors basically in seven years had the Garden of Eden, you know, it's amazing. and just now that was in California, but still in a very dry place. So That's even everywhere. if all of us on a small scale did something, what could, what could be possible? That's that's the synergy that I really like about this whole project. You know, it is, uh, I found it something that when people get the bullet points, it just clicks and it makes sense. And it's, it's not rocket surgery. It's <laughs> you not. know what I mean? I like that. It's easy. I like that you said, yeah. just throw them out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, because I have a, I have gardens with raised bed. And I'm not one of these people that loves like spending hours in my garden, pulling weeds and getting right. everything ready. I love the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now some people love that process. Right. But yeah. I just, I love how simple this is and easy it is. And um, I love what you're doing and I can't wait to do another podcast to talk about what we've discovered in terms of, you know, different grasses for horses. So I, I want to ask you a little bit about, so you, uh, aren't working in the solar industry right now. So you have become, whether you like it or not, an entrepreneur. I guess so. (laughs) An income producer yet to be business owner, right? And so those of you know that, um, so I met Seth because Tom Harvey, a good friend of ours who makes, what's his tagline? Beautiful things out of beautiful wood or beautiful designs out of beautiful wood or just. Yeah, Tom Harvey at Earthwood Builders. He's a stud. You need to He's check out awesome. Yeah. Makes really gorgeous things. Right. And so he introduced us because we were starting mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about, you know, getting to know one another. And we are in, he and I are in a double year income fast track group right now with Chuck Blakeman with Crankset Group. And of course, our Tom has been very involved in three to five clubs to help people like you who are great craftsmen be able to really grow this so more people can take advantage of it as well as help you really create a great business that can find your ideal lifestyle in your dreams through what you do. Yeah. Um, and so how did you first get introduced to Crankset and three to five and what have you experienced so far? I know you're not in yeah. yet. You're coming this week. I'm we got to get you in. I haven't been fully, fully <laughs> baptized yet. Yeah, it's I know. <laughs> you have no excuse now. You I don't know. have a job to go to. I know. I got all the time in the world now. <laughs> Yeah, so I met Tom 10 years ago at Red Rocks Community College. Uh, He was one of my woodworking teachers. I took a Japanese timber framing class from him. We kind of got joined at the hip as permaculture enthusiasts, if you will, just all of the, uh, you know, we could kind of finish each other's sentences, nerding out on soil regeneration and, you know, perennial food systems and all those, (laughs) you know, out there, hippie crunch things. And I ran into Tom a couple of years ago and he actually moved in the area. I can, he's, he's right down the road for me now and I can ride my bike to his house. But so it's kind of neat after, you know, eight years, we, we haven't seen each other in a ton of years. And then I just ran into him in Evergreen and I was just like, what are you doing up here? You know? And so he's, he's moving up in my neighborhood. He's here. He invited me to the group. And what I thought was really crazy was I'd already found Chuck's books and read Chuck's books by a happy accident anyway, just while I was trying to you know, open my brain up to different ways of running a business and creating an organization, you know, the way that I would want that creating the place that I would want to work at. 
And so when I found Chuck's books and then Tom's talking about the three to five club, I was like, oh, holy crap, this is eerie. <laughs> so he invited me to a guest. I was aware of the group and had been wanting to join the group and go and check it out. I just, it was, you know, working 80 hours a week in the solar industry for too long. And uh, so Tom brought me in as a guest a couple of times. And I think I've I think I've crashed a couple of your parties once or twice over this past year, but I haven't been able to fully commit the time because of the job. And the irony with this whole entrepreneurial leap or pushing off of the dock is, uh, you know, the last three years, the Sasquatch herd has been kind of a side hustle, cute little hobby thing. And I haven't been able to get it really going because I haven't been able to put consistent time and effort into it except you know just a day on the weekends and you know i'm in the middle of remodeling my house and so it's been a crazy year but uh, a couple weeks ago i got laid off from my job and so it's like all right <laughs> well i knew that was the weak link i knew it needed to go i'm not pleased with the terms in which it happened but it's also kind of one of those mixed blessings where it's like time was my big obstacle to put into it and so the fuse is burning and the clock's ticking and i gotta got to get up and go with this whole thing and that was quite literally the week that you and I met that Tom put us in touch I mean it was yep. everything, everything on yep. the job front was unraveling that same week and uh you know I went in for a, an emergency surgery a couple weeks ago and coming out of the hospital was sort of like all right reality check time to regroup I need to cut some dead weight because the job is just literally killing me mm. <laughs> so wow. so here I am you know kind of second week of you know full-time unemployment <laughs> so I'm looking to just kind of roll with it and, and make this thing happen you know I kind of feel hungry and motivated to do it and time was what I really needed to get it going wow. so I think yes yeah, sometimes the tragedy becomes the triumph in a mm -hmm. lot of ways you know if you keep pressing into the thing that you're passionate about I was yeah. talking to somebody yesterday how we think yeah. works about provision or transaction and i really believe work is about living out our destiny work is mm -hmm. about living out the dreams in our heart and if we do that the money really does come right it really does that. Come. yeah and i've seen that over and over and over again and i think people are attracted to people who are joyful and love what they're doing and mm -hmm. you know there's an energy in that that people go I don't even really care about like the seeds, but I just, I love your enthusiasm and energy. So I'm going to buy it. And so you've got that in spades. And so I just, you know, hope people will think about, you know, contacting you and yeah. buying some for their own yard and their own friends and holiday season coming up and they can yeah. wrap a cute ribbon around the coffee pound bag. And people are thinking, going to think they're going to get coffee and then they're going to mm -hmm. get turds. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I actually, uh, I gave a bag to a friend of mine last year uh, at a, a holiday party and he found it in his kitchen cupboard a year later. His wife thought it was coffee. <laughs> so he pulled that out of the cabinet. It was like, whoops, we probably should have planted that last fall. <laughs> so I love it. But yeah, it's, well, for me, it's kind of the low, the low stress, low hassle, ha ha. Like I haven't had anybody not laugh at the whole situation. And I just I like, know. it's light, lighthearted. And, you know, there's no uh, post install warranty work that needs to happen. It's, it's affordable. It's a year round business. Um, it's really just fun. But I like the, uh, I really have come to appreciate the synergy and the passion that a lot of other people have around it. You know, when, when people, you know, I just had a lady from Idaho call me a couple of days ago 
and they're going out to seed bomb a hillside near where they live outside of Boise as a uh, an annual memorial to her mm -hmm. son that passed. Wow. Uh, and it just choked me up. Oh. It's choked me up right now. But <laughs> so, but sending her out a couple cases, just she totally got it and was excited, ordered up a case, I sent her to, and it's like, just go have fun and make it a good day. But like that, that level of involvement is really heartwarming. Yeah. And don't we need stuff that's lighthearted and fun and meaningful? You know, mm -hmm. that's, you know, making meaning is so important right now. So I love that you are doing yeah. both. And what's, as we kind of wrap up here, sure. and, you know, we can do another one later and mm -hmm. see how the progress is going. But is there any kind of one or two things you want to leave everybody with today? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I think the big takeaway for me is just kind of opening your eyes and looking into different ways of doing things. I don't, there's more than one right way to do things. And I know, you know, within the world of gardening, everyone kind of has the paradigm that they work with, you know, and, but we've always done it this way. And I think just being open to different ways of doing things, there's more, more than one right way. Different things work for different folks in different areas, depending on your geography, but just kind of trying to do less damage and just do things better, I think is really kind of how I stumbled onto this. And it really just starts in your backyard and then your neighbors go, oh, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, you know, your neighbors are doing it in their backyard. And then, it, you know, it's that, not to sound cliche, but it's that whole Gandhi thing of be the change that you want. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> I is. Mean, it's transform the world by doing good. And yeah, you know, so maybe neighborhoods can get together and do some seed bomb parties mm -hmm. this year. And I yeah. loved what you said about the person, you know, an act of honor and memorial. And I'm like, what better way than to oh, do something God. that gives yeah. back to the environment and, and calls the bees back home and yeah. you know, does something that is everlasting. So that's thank a big, you. yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a big part of my, my future plans is I, I really want to start planning and developing uh, community roadside projects in different neighborhoods where, you know, it's crowdfunded and people can, donate to participate in this volunteer event to beautify their neighborhood you know so communities kind of take ownership of where they are you know whether it's on the freeway or county road or just in your neighborhood i don't really care but it's just one of those things where uh you know if people take ownership of their little their little space and try to do good you know i think that'd be a, a really fun way to meet the neighbors improve the environment you know, create habitat, but it's also when you're driving to work on your commute and you're driving by that mile of road that you help plant. Yeah. How cool is sweet. that? You know, that's so, very cool. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, tell us one, one more time how we can find you and get a hold of you. Yes, it is at sasquatchchurds.com. And my email is Seth, S-E-T-H at sasquatchchurds.com. I've got an e-commerce site, so you can you can purchase there um, if you have custom projects i'm absolutely open to developing that with you as well but basically let's just get some seeds out there it's kind I of love it to, yeah well thanks seth thanks i look for forward me. to more appreciate it we'll talk to you in a little bit okay bye-bye right. thanks thanks for joining us today if this podcast was helpful please subscribe by computer or phone or connect with us at number 3 to5club.com. Discover how you can get off the treadmill, make more money and find more meaning by contacting us at grow at 3to5club.com.